Back in April, an employee at Ace Hardware asked my kids if they would be interested in growing sunflowers. They both were, and they excitedly took these kits, put together in brown paper bags, home gifts from the store. They planted their seeds and, and checked for progress each day, accidentally kicking them over a good number of those days and then putting them all back together and watering them again. Uh, somewhat uh, against the odds, the seeds sprouted and they grew. It took a while, given everything that was going on in life this spring, but finally we, we dug this little strip of grass up at the edge of our yard, and we planted the young sunflowers there in the earth. All was well, until one day my daughter Alice discovered that one of her sunflowers had been bent right in half. It wasn't fully broken, but it was in bad shape. We wondered together about what the options might be for a severely bent sunflower. And we tried to, tried to uh, decide what the options were. Ultimately, we decided that we should try to help it survive. Alice's plan involved uh, blue painter's tape, and she got it out and, and carefully wrapped it around where the stalk had been broken, and then she added a bamboo stalk, a, a stake for support. We watched it carefully, unsure how it would fare. Things were broken on a whole different level, a whole different scale in the communities that Paul was trying so hard to shepherd. These early churches that he had planted scattered all across the map. The followers were left to learn how to live this way out largely on their own. They were fragile it was uncertain. So much was stacked against them in the wider community. It was a fundamentally dangerous thing to gather as Christians. It's no wonder that there were divisions and infighting and that these early churches were really pretty precarious. And here, here at the close of his letter to the followers in Philippi, Paul does not admonish them for how things have been difficult. Instead, he pulls them towards what is good, to support one another in the struggle, to rejoice, to train their minds on the truth, to lend their hearts to what is worthy of thanks and praise. I've wondered if it was jarring for the readers of this letter to hear him urging them towards joy in the midst of such pain. But then again, they knew full well where Paul was. He was not living the easy life and just telling them to buck up. 
Paul was writing to them from prison. He'd been locked up in response to his gospel work. He longed to be back with this community, and he didn't know when or honestly if that would happen. He knew he might well die in prison. This is the context in which he urges this community of new Christians to rejoice, to look to the light, to give themselves to the good. He's stuck in prison, and still he is giving himself to the way of joy and new life. What he's inviting, I think, is a kind of faithful heliotropism. Helio, as in the light, the sun, and trope, as in to turn, to change. Heliotropism, it's, it's what some plants do, sunflowers among them. And it's for us, too. It's the practice of orienting ourselves, directing our attention, turning our energy towards the light. It's a stance that does not ignore the pain and the suffering. It does not downplay the oppression that is all around Throughout his letter, Paul speaks plainly to the challenges. He laments them, offers ways to work through them. But the encouragement he gives is for us to turn and focus on what is good, what is life-giving, what is of God. This reorientation towards the light is how the early church sought to be in community. This is how we can also, in the midst of all uncertainty and division and fear and pain and longing, it's a kind of joy so honest that it does not seek to paper over pain or loss. It is not a a thin happiness born of triumphalism, but a love that runs through it all, the good and the awful alike. It's a way that holds joy in balance alongside the pain, both true, while still training our focus more onto the joy. The sunflower, the broken one, it kept growing. It felt pretty remarkable to us. I don't know if it was or not, but We were awed to see this. We watered it and checked it and weeded around it. We moved the stake as it grew taller. And a few months later, Alice noticed that the tape seemed to be an impediment now, that the stalk, the the stake was no longer needed for support. Suddenly, she called me over. Look! She exclaimed, look, it has a bud. She ran her fingers across this tiny but unmistakable beginning of a flower. And then, as an afterthought, she added, I never expected it would bloom. 
I stood staring at this budding flower as Alice ran off, but I was stuck there, rooted and puzzling. She had worked so attentively trying to save this singular, struggling sunflower. She had gotten creative, striving to figure out what it needed and how she could offer it. And apparently, I had just learned, she had done all that with no real expectation that it would bloom. This, this right here is what we are called to do for one another and for this home of ours, the church. And friends, right here, right in this church, even as we are dispersed, I see so many of these buds, these reasons to hope. I don't know what will come to pass, what will finally come to fruition, but I see the possibility. I see the heart. I see the commitment to make it good and see this community through. I see a dynamic youth ministry program that is only gaining steam as leaders experiment with new possibilities online. I see folks getting creative with how we pray and making space for our neighbors to join in the intercessions, making prayer flags to fly out on the corner. I see people, many people, working hard to preserve this holy space, putting a new roof on in these rather unusual conditions. And I see so very many of you reaching to be generous, stretching to make all this possible. That is, quite honestly, the only way it works, by digging deep and choosing together to make it happen with our time and our vision, and yes, also with our money. I don't know what next year will bring, Shoot, I don't even know what next month will bring. I don't know what efforts of ours will take off and which will flop spectacularly. What I do know is that I want to be fully in it with you, turning my attention towards the light with you again and again and again. I will do it with my heart and my spirit, and my mind, and I will give myself fully to this way with all of you by pledging, by stretching to give, giving a little more than may seem easy, because I believe in this church, I believe in God's call for what we are to do together. Life-giving community and ministry does not happen accidentally. It does not happen automatically. The life of this place, it happens when we, when all of us, collectively choose to join our hearts together and turn towards the good, the light, the joy. My daughter had no expectation that that flower would bloom. I'm still holding on to that. It was a simple and profound act of hope and responsiveness. 
of care and action. Objectively, it was not the most remarkable flower when it bloomed. It was small and irregular and far, far away from the giant flower we thought we had planted. And it was gorgeous. And I loved it, coming to check on it each day. And it brought me such joy, far more than all the others. I reveled in it, not because it seemed like such an unlikely gift, but because it was the result of unrelenting hope. This flower reminded me to care without expectation, to hope without certainty, to take joy even among what is broken. This is the the rejoicing that I want to give myself to now more than ever. It is a way of rejoicing that insists on our attention, on turning ourselves again to the light and to the good and to God. It is a rejoicing that invites each of us to be all in, bound together in this joy.